So in these days together, in these days we've been together on this retreat, we've, um, we've been using the meditation, the, uh, the formal, the sitting meditation, and the, the qigong meditation, the standing, the stillness, and the movement. And we've been using the meditation for exploration, for inquiry, for investigation. And primarily we've been focusing the investigation on objects. We've been looking into objects. And the main object we've been using is the body. Taking the, the body as an object and, and exploring it, inquiring into it, investigating it, opening to it, experiencing it. And we've also um, brought in other objects, like um, the microphone. <laughs> and... Um, Sounds and feelings, and today um, mentioned um, briefly spoke about as objects, emotions, mind states, thoughts, visual objects. We could also take smells as an object, we can take taste as an object, tastes as an object, and, and any object that we take, anything that we want to take as an object, we can give attention to it and we can investigate, inquire into, and the intention being to come to an understanding of its actual nature. How is it actually? And, and as I've mentioned, as I've discussed and pointed out, the, the Buddha attributed three characteristics to all things, and three characteristics that we can say are common to all things, and, and therefore are the nature of things. And that is their impermanence, the, the changing nature of things, the inconstancy, the unreliability, undependability, not knowing what's going to happen next with things. And the conditionality, the dependent arising of things, the, how, how, things how things owe their life in any given moment to a, a coming together of lots of, lots of um, conditions that allow the thing to be as it is in that moment. And of course, each of those conditions is also changing, impermanent. And so the whole package is, is in constant flux and flow. And the third characteristic being the, the unreliability of things, the undependability of things because of the impermanence and the, the conditionality. Uh, we, can't, we can't depend on things for any constancy or any continuity. And, and that's, um, that has what in our minds is, is an unfortunate aspect because it means we can't depend on the ongoing nature of things that we like. But it has the blessing that we know that the things we don't like <laughs> will change as well. So these, these three characteristics and, and the, the, the investigation into things is to come to a very direct, experiential, intuitive knowing of these characteristics and this, and this intuitive, this insight. This insight affects the second aspect that we've, looked, we've been looking into and discussing and that is the relationship. So normally our relationship to things is one of wanting to get or wanting to get rid of or not caring about at all. 
And the understanding of the nature of things affects this relationship in a way that it allows for just the release of the of the of the mind state that wants to get or wants to get rid of or feels the need to get or feels the need to get rid of to push away and of course the understanding dispels the the ignoring the the not giving attention to not knowing so the so the investigation of of things has this effect of affecting the relationship and and as i as i discussed the 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 buddha's intention in his investigation and in his inquiry and in his his teaching was to point out the fact of dukkha of suffering of stress of conflict and the end of it to point out what makes possible the ending of it and of course as as he pointed out the the cause of dukkha lies not in the objects not in the things but in the nature of the relationship and when the nature of relationship re- arising from the insight is one of of letting go of not clinging of not holding on not of detachment but rather of non-attachment in the absence of the attachment in the absence of of the identification with it in the absence of of the struggle to hold on to or to keep away is the ending of dukkha and so dukkha lies in the relationship and the ending of dukkha lies in the relationship and so the so the investigation of the investigation of things becomes a means of release from this relationship of dukkha there's a third aspect of of this whole picture that also needs to be looked into the um the buddha i, I mentioned um can't remember which evening it was if it was the first evening or the next talk i mentioned how the buddha the buddha defined dukkha and he said dukkha is not getting what we want dukkha is getting what we don't want and dukkha is separation from what we love and then he went on and he made one more statement and a very um a very very powerful very profound statement so he said that these these three things these are dukkha but then he 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 said that actually underlying all of these the phrase he uses in summary <laughs> in summary so underlying all of this dukkha he 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 made this statement he said dukkha is the five aggregates when clung to the five aggregates are um a kind of a, um a model that the buddha uses um to describe to explain to define to discuss me the self and with this statement what the buddha is saying is that in summary underlying all the other types of dukkha all the causes of dukkha all the forms of dukkha underlying it all is clinging to this self attachment to me 
and 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 it's 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 crucial that we investigate this because um, the way that we perceive the world well one reason because the way that the way that we perceive the world and the way the way that we act in the world we are things we make ourselves things we make ourselves objects and so if we're going to investigate objects, we have to investigate this object of me. And if it's true, as the Buddha says, that, that, that the clinging to me is at the root of all the dukkha, then if we want to truly know the end of dukkha, if we want to truly know peace, then we have to understand and release this grip on me. And so the, the investigation the investigation of of this self um, can be can be modeled on, or we can we can use as guy as a guide as kind of a manual for exploring the self. This this model of the five aggregates, and uh, and I'd like to I'd like to go into the the five aggregates and this ex- exploration a little bit. But before I go directly into that, I want to. Um, I want to mention a book that I read recently, and um, maybe some of you have read it. The book is called My Stroke of Insight. Has anyone, has anyone read that, this book? Yeah, one, one hand going up. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a rather amazing book about, um, true story, um, about and written by a Harvard University brain researcher who had a stroke. And um, and the effect of this stroke, what happened was a, a blood vessel in the left side of her brain burst. And the left side of her brain literally drowned in blood. And she was able to have the presence, being a, a brain researcher, <laughs> she was able to have the presence to watch what was happening as the left side of the brain was drowning. <laughs> and, uh, and then she was, able, she was able to record it. And, um, and she, she, describes, she describes in the book, and she, she's on the lecture circuit now, traveling all over the world, lecturing on this, and she describes how all the different processes of the left brain gradually shut down. And as that happened, she describes how the processes and the function of the right brain began to, began to come more to the forefront. And the functions of the left brain that, that she describes in, 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 and describes the, the shutting down of them include things like memory, like planning, thinking, speaking, walking... Um, all kinds of all kinds of ordinary everyday functions, discrimination, judging, um, all the things that come up in our minds while we're sitting that we really don't like. <laughs> and 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 she 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 describes how these these functions were gradually shutting down. And and she she also goes into the the struggle, the the realization that she had, and the struggle to keep them functioning just enough to be able to get help. (laughs) 
But anyway, she, so, so as these functions are all shutting down, what's happening and what she records is that the right brain is starting to function in a heightened way. And the, um, the, the, way, the way that she describes the, the right brain, the right brain, so, so we're all familiar with the way that the left brain perceives the world, you know, with all this planning and remembering and judging and, and criticizing and discriminating and separating and, um, and, and all, this, all this stuff. <laughs> and she describes the perception of the world from the right brain as one of a complete, a complete disintegration of the sense of self, of me, of ego. And with that, what comes is a, a, a perception of the world of complete harmony and interconnectedness, non-separateness, no boundaries between anything, no judgments, and it's it's a kind of thing that on a, on a meditation retreat when 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 we when we when we talk about and and sometimes we start to experience we start to have an experience of the kind of the boundaries of the body starting to kind of um, flutter a little bit and and maybe start to dissolve away and it it can bring up and it often does bring up anxiety fear what's happening I'm disappearing. What's going to happen if there's no me? How will I function in the world if there's no me? You know, I just start to disappear. And, and, and sometimes we get these glimpses of, of the connection, of the fading of the boundary. And, and it really can bring up a fear of, of losing myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of you, many of you perhaps, have had that experience and have, 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 felt, have felt this fear arise. But what's interesting with... With her, her name is um, Jill Bolt Taylor. And what's interesting with Jill is that she she describes this the, the perceiving the world in this way from the right brain, and she says it's pure bliss. She uses the word nirvana. She says it's nirvana, and she says there's great joy and bliss in it. And so, just um, just to just just to, to it's it it interesting for me reading from a scientific perspective. And, and she goes into the whole physiology and the and anatomy of the brain and how the brain works and how all these different areas of the brain work. And and I, I found it very interesting to read her her description and to see how her experiences and her insights were so much in line with the experiences and the insights of the Buddhist teachings. <coughs> and, um, and apparently, from what I can gather, she knew nothing about, there, there, there was nothing about spirituality in her life. It was just pure science. And yet she had these, these experiences and, the, and these insights. And it, it took her... Um, I guess the difference between having a stroke like this and having the meditation is that it it took her many years to recover the functions of the right brain. In the meditation, very fortunately, we can have these experiences, but the the brain the, the brain isn't being destroyed in any way. 
it's actually being being healed. And and so it doesn't take us years to get back the function. Sometimes these functions come back too quickly. <laughs> so anyway, so th- so there's so she so as she described, there's these these two different ways of perceiving the world. And what what happens normally is that we're perceiving the world so strongly from the right from the left brain that we we just lose complete touch with we forget we're just there's just no inkling of this right brain's perception every now and then it kind of kicks in and we feel a very strong connection with something or the sense of ego does drop away and an, and an act of spontaneous compassion will arise or 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 um, a feeling of deep love and deep deep connection deep companionship will arise and and this all happens when when the right brain is is functioning more more strongly but for the most part we're so in the left brain and we we forget the right brain and we believe that our left brain perception is the way it is we buy into that and what she as she writes in the book she 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 talks about her struggle as she's healing as as the left brain is healing she talks about the struggle to not get swept back into that and get caught up in it again to to be able to keep in touch with and to keep reminding herself of this this right brain way of knowing the world because it's from this way of knowing that as she speaks the the love and the compassion the caring, the connection. This is where they come from. And so she develops all kinds of strategies to be able to go back and forth and to, and to, to be able to see the world from this right brain and to know the world from this right brain, but to be able to use the left brain when it's necessary. So it's not that there's something wrong with the left brain and we need to just shut it right down. So when you have this idea, well, I just need to turn off my mind and not have any thoughts. You know, it's a wonderful, blissful experience to be without thoughts and to know that connection. But there is, there is value. <laughs> there is value in, in thoughts. And, and to be able, to, to, be able to, to open to both and not take up either as being this is the way it is and this is the way it should be this is the this is the this is the trick this is the the secret and and she also describes wonderfully describes as she's healing seeing her old patterns and habits suddenly popping up in the mind and because of this right brain because of the right brain knowing able to recognize it and to see that she has a choice to buy into it or to just let it go. And she, and she develops tools and develops ways of supporting her in just letting go of these old habits and old patterns that she sees are from the old Jill, not from the new Jill. I think it's a, it's a wonderful lesson for us when we, when we, when we recognize a habit recognize a, a certain tendency to be able to to be able to see that ah that's the old 
me, whatever me is. And to see that we don't have to buy into it just because it pops up in the mind or in the body or in a feeling, in a mind state, in an emotion, just because it pops up. If we can see, no, that's old. That's old. That's past. And just to come into the present and see, how is it now? How am I now? So she describes this whole process. Wonderful. I recommend reading the book. It's already a bestseller. <laughs> so, so coming back to the five aggregates. The, the, fi- the five aggregates is a, a wonderful model that the Buddha gives that, that describes very clearly how we get hooked into the left brain view and how we kind of get um, sidetracked from or distracted from the right brain perception, the right brain understanding. And the right brain understanding, again, being this understanding of of interconnectedness, of non-separateness. So the, um, the, the five aggregates, so the, the, first, the first of the five, and, and the, the word aggregate, I'm not sure where this word aggregate comes from. It's one of these old English translations. <laughs> um, uh, but what it, what it, it's, also, it's also translated as five heaps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I really don't know where that one comes from. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's five aspects, five aspects of what we refer to as self. And the first of these, and it's basically five things that we identify with as me. When I'm talking about me, what am I talking about? And, and in effect, what I'm talking about is a, is a package that's composed of these five, these five things. So if we put these five all together, then that makes up me, makes up who I am. So the first one, obviously, is, and I'm sure you can all guess... The body, yes. Okay, so the first aggregate is the body. So we come, we come into this world with a body, and the body, has, 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 as part of it, has sense doors. Has eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch capacity. Ears, did I say ears? Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch capacity, and a mind. Mind is a is a, a sense door. So so these are all part of the aggregate of body. Maybe that's why it's called an aggregate because it's composed of a whole bunch of. It's an aggregation of of all these things. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Insights come at unexpected moments. <laughs> I never thought of that before. <laughs> so. <laughs> so so body so body has these sense doors okay so so this is the the first aggregate is the body and and the body is it's it's a it's a thing it's an object that we identify with i look in the mirror and i say that's me there i am i identify with that appearance or some mornings I look in the mirror and I think, no, that's not me. <laughs> so body is, is the, the first aggregate. The, the second, the, the, the other four aggregates are aspects of mind. 
aspects of mind. And um, uh, let's see how to how to how to discuss how to approach this. Um, we have the sense doors. This world is composed of sense objects, sounds, sights, smells, tastes, um, tangible objects, and thoughts. The world, so there's the outer world of all these things, of sounds, sights, etc. And there's the inner world, which also includes these. And... I noticed during one of the sittings today, there were after lunch maybe, there were quite a few inner sounds in the room. <laughs> um, so, so there's the outer objects, the outer life, and there's the inner objects. And, and one of the inner objects is thoughts. Okay, so, so these, these, the, the objects, the outer objects, the objects, the sense objects, and the sense doors come together. Okay? There's a sound vibration coming through the air. There's a bird out there going <laughs> and the vibration from that the vibration from that comes through the air, hits the ear. Okay? Hits the ear. And what happens? You hear it. Okay? You you hear it. What happens is I hear the bird. Okay. Not only do I hear the bird, but I hear the bird there. I'm here, bird's there, I'm hearing it. This is the perception, and this is how we perceive the world. We perceive the world as me here, and everything else is out there. And either it's out there and I want it and I have to get it, or it's invading me and I don't like it and I want to get rid of it, or it's coming to me and I like it and I want to keep it. And this way of relating to the world arises out of this perception, I hear it. So, the vibration. So what's actually happening? What's actually happening? And this is where the, the five aggregates give such a, a wonderful, um, profound and, um, description of what's actually happening. The vibration hits the ear. In that moment of hitting the ear, there's hearing. There's hearing. Now, a question, a question to ask do you do anything to make that hearing happen? Anyone? Does anyone do anything to make that hearing happen? Do you have to make that hearing happen? No. It's just in the nature of things. When a sound vibration hits the ear, assuming that the ear is functioning, the vibration hits the ear, there's hearing. There's a moment of hearing. And this hearing in the aggregates is consciousness. So consciousness arises dependent on the coming together of a sense object and a sense door. 
Okay, so we have two objects, two, two aggregates now. We have the body, which is the sense door, and we have the consciousness, which is the, just the bare fact of hearing arising. And since I'm not doing anything, in, in effect, I'm not hearing. It's not me hearing. It's just hearing happening. Okay? You all see that? Third aggregate that comes into play here. And the third aggregate is called perception. And perception, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty obvious word. What it means is perceiving something. So the 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 left the 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 object strikes the or the the sense door the vibration hits the ear the hearing arises in that in that initial moment of hearing in that initial moment of hearing the the actual hearing just to link it to the to the to my stroke of insight and to the to the brain and to the to the brain research just that that moment of hearing of bare, pure hearing is a right brain function. In that moment, there's no separation between the object and the sense door. In fact, the hearing only happens because of the absence of separation. Okay, do you see that? If there was a separation, the hearing couldn't happen because the hearing arises dependent on that coming together. So in that moment of knowing, there's a right brain functioning. It's knowing the coming together. And it's knowing just the bare fact of hearing. Then the left brain has to put in its say. (laughs) And this perception factor comes in. The perception factor has, has two aspects to it. Three aspects, really. One aspect is the the naming of the object. And the naming of the object, bird or tweet, (laughs) the naming of the object is, is to a very large extent based on a second aspect of perception, which is memory. Memory comes into play here and remembers, oh, I've heard that before. I was told it was a bird, so therefore it's a bird. Okay? And the third, the third aspect is the separation, placing it out there. So perception perceives an object out there and gives it a name. Okay, so the mind is doing this, it's doing it very, very quickly. <laughs> and what happens, what happens in doing that, in, 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 in creating that perception, it's not just creating the object out there, the bird out there and giving it a name. At the same time, it's creating me who's hearing it. And so this, this aggregate of perception is taking what has arisen because of a non-separateness, because of a coming together, and separated it. 
this factor of, perce- of perception creates the impression of separateness. And it's a separateness that only exists because of the mind, the brain, the mind perceiving it in that way. So we have the body, the sense door, we have the consciousness, we have the perception. And then the fourth, the fourth aggregate, which comes in very quickly also, and, and, and the aggregates, they all, they all work together. It's not a, like a chain of events that one happens and then another happens and then another happens. They all, they all influence one another. They're all non-separate. They're interconnected. The fourth aggregate is the aggregate of feeling. In that moment of hearing, in that moment of hearing, in the con- with the consciousness, there's, there's, there's the, the sense object, the sense door, and the consciousness. And when they interact with each other, what arises out of that is a feeling. Either it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay? And the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, the feeling works along with the perception to come up with the idea, I like it, I want it, or I don't like it, I don't want it. So the feeling contributes to an even greater sense of separation. And the feeling feeds any kind of underlying tendency of mind toward desire and aversion. Wanting, not wanting. Wanting to get, wanting to get rid of. So that's the fourth aggregate. And then these four, the, the body, the, the uh, consciousness, the perception, the feelings... These all act together, with, with all of these acting together, the fifth aggregate arises out of, out of all of this jumble, and the fifth aggregate is called mental formations, which is a fancy way of saying stories. Out of all this arises the stories, the mental chatter, the proliferation of mind, the Pali word is papancha, the proliferation of mind, the mind starting up all the stories, all the memories, all the plans, all the ideas, all the concepts, all the the wanting to know, um, all the ideas about. Okay, so I'm just sitting here very quietly, feeling the breathing, tension in the belly, just doing exactly as I'm told. Quack, quack, I hear a duck. (laughs) It's kind of a pleasant sound. It's nice. Maybe I'll just sit here and listen to the duck. Much more interesting than than the breathing in the belly. Hmm, what kind of duck is it? I remember these really nice little ducks with red tufts on their head and they swam around going quack, quack, and then they had these little... And <laughs> the story just so easily and so quickly starts up and poof, 
gone. Mental formations. And the mental formations have the effect of reinforcing even more the sense of me and it, here and there, up and down, inside and outside. All of these divisions are just creations of the mind through these aggregates. And the right brain knows this. The right brain knows this. But we get so hooked into the left brain, into perceiving perceiving the world through the left brain, perceiving the world through the through the the perception of separation. And there's there's a there's a kind of um there's a there's a kind of a, a comfort in perceiving the world in that way, in that it it really reinforces the sense of me and it gives, it gives the sense of me as being you know, quite solid and quite continuous and it gives me a sense of, oh, I've got some control here. I've got some power here. It's kind of a good feeling and it's, and it's hard when we get these first intimations of, of not me these first intimations of the breaking down of the sense of barrier, it's a threat to that. It really threatens this, this sense of control I, I feel, I, I perceive, I believe that I have. It's a threat to this, this sense of, of me as, a, as a, an indep- my independence, my freedom. It also has um, this 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 left brain perception. Um, although it it has, it's very functional and allows us to function in the world. It allows us to move around in the world. It allows us to be in the world. It's necessary to a certain extent. But it also has the effect of giving rise to and of feeding the forces, the terribly destructive forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. These forces of wanting to get, wanting to get rid of. The sense of entitlement that, that's so strong in the world. It feeds these, um, the, these feelings of entitlement to, um, to high pay packages and and massive bonuses every year, and, um, and, and monster houses, and two or three or four cars, and, and all this stuff. All this stuff that, that, the, that the, the mind, through these, through these aggregates, the mind creates the belief in the need for it. And the mind, the mind, in a sense, the mind, the mind actually does need it. It needs it in order to keep propping up the belief in this me as a solid, separate entity in control, in charge. Me at the center of this world that's all out there, all around me. And we look at the, 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 the economic situation in the world these past few months, and it's, it's so obvious, it's so obvious how much damage has been caused to so many people. 
by the people who have most bought into this, by the people who most believe in this perception of the world. And it's, it's tragic how, how because of this, because of this, this believing in this, this right brain perception in the world and not connecting with this, with this left brain and not connecting with the right brain, not, not understanding the reality of interconnectedness, of non-separateness. Through that, that ignorance and that delusion causing so much tragedy for so many people, losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their savings, families breaking up. I think it points to a huge responsibility for all of us to really look into this in our lives and to really see where, where am I in any way contributing to this? You know, and I look at my life and I see ways I do contribute to it. I see I do have things that I really don't need at all. I go down into my basement and I see the boxes of things that have been there since I moved five years ago and haven't been opened. You know, I don't need these things. I look at when I'm, when I... Whenever I have some money to set aside for saving, I put it in the bank and I look to see where can I get the highest interest rate. There's just so, so many areas where I, where I see and I, and I look at my car and I keep thinking, you know, this car uses more petrol than I really should be using. And I was very conscious, I was so conscious that I flew from Canada to England on Earth Day. And I felt terrible about it, even though I paid for carbon offsets. And I think we all have a responsibility to look at our lives and to, to look into ourselves and to really deeply understand this, this structure of self, this nature of self, this 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 formation of self. And that's all it is. It's just a formation. And as a formation, there's no problem with it. There is a me here. Of course there's a me here. Here I am. I'm sitting here. I'm talking. But I'm only here arising out of conditions. Condition of Gaia House, condition of all of you, condition of the airplane that brought me here, condition of the, the meals I've been eating, condition of microphone, <laughs> just all these conditions coming together in this moment and giving rise to this Norman who happens to be here right now, taking form. And it's wonderful that this happens. It's wonderful that each of us take form, takes, takes the form that we take. But it's very unfortunate when we believe the perception to be how it is. And we forget our interconnectedness. We forget our relationship. We forget that we're all here together. It's not me here and you there. It's not even me and you. It's just life manifesting in this way. And the, 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 realization, the realization of this, this, this understanding of this this deep and profound nature of self 
or of no self, if you want to put it that way, or not self. The actual translation of what the Buddha said isn't no self, it's not self, without self. The, the, the deep and profound understanding, understanding of this, this is where the, the real releasing comes from. The depth of releasing that 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 truly releases the dukkha, where there's no separation, where can there be conflict, stress? I was at a at a conference one time on uh, a Buddhist conference, and there were a whole bunch of panel discussions. And one of the panel discussions was on should Buddhists be vegetarian? And um, and there was a whole range of views and opinions on this on this panel, and one person was just very yes, yes, we have to be vegetarian. <laughs> we can't cause harm to any living beings. We have to be vegetarian. And then another person was saying, no, no, the Buddha never said that. We're allowed to eat meat. And then and then another guy, another guy, got up and he said, well, it's really good to be vegetarian, but it's okay to eat fish. <laughs> and, and there, there was there was a Zen monk in the audience, and and at this point he he just stood up. <laughs> he just stood up, and and he very quietly said, "When I look in the face of a fish, I see myself." And the whole room went dead silent. And he sat down. <laughs> and it was the end of that discussion. <laughs> the, tremendous, the tremendous power of, of knowing non-separateness so deeply. When I look at a fish, I see myself. And, the, and the, the care and the kindness and the compassion that flows from that. It's just the most, the most wonderful potential, the most amazing, the most inspiring potential for human beings. So please, I really encourage you to take this inquiry to heart. To really to really make it a, an important feature of your life, to keep looking into this perception of separateness, this perception of, of me and the, and the belief in it, and to keep challenging it, to keep questioning it, to see, is it true, is it true? And through this investigation, through this inquiry, to come to know true peace. True happiness, joy, bliss, while functioning in this world. So let's sit together for a couple of minutes quietly. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.